Welcome to the podcast of Unity Fort Worth. In it, you'll hear this week's message and meditation. If you'd like to hear and see the complete service, you can always find it at unityfortworth.org or on the Unity Fort Worth Facebook page. Unity Fort Worth focuses on positive and practical Christianity with a willingness to explore the entire world of religion and spiritual thought. Unity Fort Worth streams live every Sunday at 11 a.m. Thanks for listening to the Unity Fort Worth podcast. So in honor of Mother's Day, I want to read a poem to you. The poem is called The Wide Spectrum of Mothering by Amy Young. To those, who get, to those who gave birth this year to their first child, we celebrate you. To those who lost a child this year, we mourn you. To those who are in the trenches with little ones every day and wear the badge of food stains, we appreciate you. To those who experienced loss through miscarriage, failed adoptions, or running away, we mourn with you. To those who walk the hard path of infertility, fraught with pokes, prods, tears, and disappointment, we walk with you. Forgive us when we say foolish things. We don't mean to make this harder than it is. To those who are foster moms, mentor moms, and spiritual moms, we need you. To those who have warm and close relationships with your children, we celebrate with you. To those who have disappointment, heartache, and distance with your children, we sit with you. To those who lost their mothers this year, we grieve with you. To those who experienced abuse at the hands of your own mother, we acknowledge your experience. To those who lived through driving tests, medical tests, and the overall testing of motherhood, we are better for having you in our midst. To those who have aborted children, we remember them and you on this day. To those who are single and long to be married and mothering your own children, we mourn that life that has not turned out the way you longed for it to be. To those who step-parent, we walk with you on these complex paths. To those who envisioned lavishing love on grandchildren, yet that dream is not to be, we grieve with you. To those who will have emptier nests in the upcoming year, we grieve and rejoice with you. To those who place children up for adoption, we commend you for your selflessness and remember how you hold that child in your heart. And to those who are pregnant with new life, both expected and surprising, we anticipate with you this Mother's Day we walk with you. Mothering is not for the faint of heart, and we have real warriors in our midst. We remember you. And so it is. So I like this poem very much, because as I shared with you before, 
Mother's Day has not been a very easy day for me to give a message for personal reasons, um, reasons within my own family, and so on. And I know that many uh, congregants often stay away from Mother's Day because they don't want to hear it. They don't even want to hear the words Happy Mother's Day. And I think Amy Young here does a wonderful job capturing all these different experiences of many that many go through, being very inclusive of those who may not have had the joy of being a mother to a physical child and having had a great experience. At the same time, I like the poem because it celebrates all mothers as well. And so today, I want to kind of like give a different twist on Mother's Day and focus on just a couple of very specific uh, aspects. Obviously, you know, we are in the midst of our campaign uh, raising some funds to be able to um, create a volunteer system that is geared toward community. One of the things that the board learned when we had our training a couple of months ago is that one of the most important things that we as Unity Fort Worth, but every church, every spiritual community in the world has realized we need to focus on is relationships. And ultimately, even though it looks like, oh, we're volunteering because if I'm not doing this, then the church is in trouble. Yes, that looks all like that in the, on the surface, but ultimately what it is, is becoming part of the community and learning to work together. You know, I, I think the music team is such a beautiful example of how people from different paths of life come together and create something beautiful every Sunday. And that is true for every team, for those that you see visually and those that you, that you don't see. And obviously, Mother's Day, you can't think of Mother's Day without thinking of service, can't you? Ultimately, what is being a mother is being of service. I actually think what I just shared, you know, from my ashram experience, being of service to humanity, there's really no difference to being a mother and being a dedicated, ordained monk in an ashram. <laughs> it's about giving, right? Wouldn't you agree, those of you who had the chance to raise children? It's selflessness. It's giving away without expectation, sometimes giving beyond what we are supposed to or should. Right? So we're learning to find the balance. Now, I like this comic here. Oops. Okay, you took it away from me. What's happening again? So did you see this while I was talking? Oh, okay. So never mind, the joke's gone, but you get it where I'm, where I'm going with this. I don't know, we're still having these um, gremlins in our slides now in a day. It just moves ahead without me. So, you know, that's really how I often see, um, especially in the United States, I, I find it very interesting how mothers are, at least from my perspective, having grown up in a different culture, I've grown up with a mom being dedicated at home. You know, uh, our school system didn't have lunch. 
we actually went home for lunch and then came back in the afternoon for more school, right? That's how it worked in Switzerland in the 70s and 80s. And my mom cooked every, every day lunch. <laughs> she actually cooked in the kitchen. And we had a proper lunch meal, not just a fold over or something like that, you know, here, or peanut butter jelly, which uh, still I, sh I shudder when I hear that, right? <clears throat> but it's, it's, uh, it's very different culture, and I'm always amazed how busy moms are here. And so this is very appropriate, you know, the super moms. Sometimes I really see that cape just being just hidden behind the dress, you know, and then once in a while they take out the cape and whoosh, 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 and do all those things. It's incredible. It's about being here for everyone. Now you might think, you know, how does this have anything to do with bargaining to God? And in a way it's not connected and yet it is connected. And um, a couple of weeks ago, you probably remember, I wasn't really feeling too well. Um, I had like the sweats on stage and, you know, to be honest, it wasn't just because of those lights that keep me sweating every Sunday anyway. I wasn't really feeling too well. And then a few days later, I even ended up in the emergency room and I was hospitalized for a few days. Um, it got really serious there for a moment. And I don't know about you, but whenever I have a very serious thing going on in my life, uh, I've been hiking uh, across glaciers that was dangerous. I've been sailing in, in storms that was dangerous. Whenever you get to the brink where you just don't know if you make it out alive, <laughs> that's when the bargaining starts, right? And not only when there is something you know, serious going on, sometimes we bargain with God for all sorts of reasons, right? We have these ideas that we want this and that, we want a bigger house, bigger car, or we want different relationship, better job, whatever, more money, whatever it is. And then sometimes when it doesn't happen, we end up in this bargaining position. And, and guess what last week when I was in the hospital, I was in a, one level below ICU, progressive care unit, they call it. So I was hooked up 24-7. I had like a dedicated almost nurse that was looking, making sure that, you know, I'll make through this, right? <laughs> I started bargaining and I was laughing at myself. He said, who am I bargaining with here? Right, first of all. Now, theologically in unity, you know, I, I emphasize that the unity teachings theologically is very different than to what we usually grow up with in Christianity. It's more inclusive. It's oneness. It doesn't address a God outside of ourselves. So prayers to a God, whether we call it nature or mother, father, outside of ourselves doesn't really make much sense, strictly speaking, from a unity belief. But then we're also a unity community that is open to everyone joining us regardless of what their beliefs are. And this bargaining happens regardless of our theology, isn't it? Some of us may say, dear God, please make sure I'm getting out alive here. Others may say, spirit within, give me the strength 
so I can leave this hospital in, in good shape. Whatever the experience is, the bargaining happened to me while I was hanging on there, hooked up to those machines, and kind of like thought, you know what? Is this really all necessary? Do I really have to do this or go through this? And I started myself seeing to bargain, right? I may have not used words like God, and I may have not addressed it outside of myself, but ultimately it was still bargaining. I was trying to bargain with my higher self. I was trying to figure out whether my path that I'm on is really a good path or whether I'm on a different path. And I was trying to find some guidance in that until I realized that the bargaining is kind of futile, at least for me. I don't have to bargain. What I have to do is have faith and trust that my intuition to be a minister and be in this profession and be in this position, that everything I did, even though it ended up me ending up in the hospital, that everything I did has, is based on choices that I made and those choices are going to help me move further along the path that I have set for myself. So rather than bargaining, I started to think about, well, what are the things that are really important? Which then brought me to divine motherhood. Divine motherhood is about three things, if you want to pick it out. It's about service, demotion, devotion, and surrender. The first one, we probably can all easily agree. Motherhood is about serving, right? But when we talk about divine motherhood, we not only talk about all those mothers who have been blessed or blessed themselves to have children. We're talking about men and women alike. We're talking about the divine feminine that's alive within all of us. And that part of us is the one that wants to be in service, that longs for the love that brings us all together, that longs for unity, that longs for the world to finally come to peace. But in order to be of service, we need to be devoted. And again, this is from my ashram experience, we also need to learn to surrender. So let's now talk about this other story, the story of Trotakam. Trotakam is um, a Sanskrit name for someone who is devoted. It has its roots in Sanskrit words that link to the word devotion, to completely surrender, completely devote the life in service. You see here a female version of Trotakam. Trotakam can be used for male and female. It's a Sanskrit name. It's not a title. It's just a, a name that's given to people who just embody that a liveliness of service. In this particular story, this is a story I've heard while I was in the ashram, 
maybe two or three times a year. And it was always the same monk, the same senior monk, senior teacher, who would tell us that story. It's a very meaningful story because he talks about some of the Buddhist and Hindu traditions when people used to go to the monastery to study uh, spirituality and to learn from usually an elderly monk, um, an abbot, how to reach enlightenment. Uh, hundreds and thousands of years ago, these traditions go. Um, you can easily look up some of these monasteries, some of them up in the way in the Himalayas that provide that sanctuary, very much like the Catholic monasteries where someone devotes their life only to God alone, only to spirituality and nothing else. So imagine this monastery being somewhere up in the Himalayas and there's all these students, right, that joined, very dedicated. They gave up their lives, they gave up their possessions, they had nothing, and they came to that monastery with only one goal, to be enlightened, to awaken, to learn who and what they truly are. And so they would sit in that building in the back there, right, and they would sit in meditation, meditate for hours and hours and hours all day long, and they would study scripture, and they would chant, and they would all those things that you would do in a monastery, in an ashram that's very focused on getting someone to the point of awakening. And so there were these dozens or so monks that were studying very, very hard, and they got all their power into it, everything, all their effort went into it, and nothing happened for them for months, and some of them even for years. They would meditate for 12 hours a day and read for eight hours a day and chant for four hours a day until the day ran out. And they would do yoga and do everything, right? So imagine just a life that is only focused on your spirituality. And yet, they would never reach the goal. So they got really frustrated after a while. So frustrated, in fact, that they asked for an audience with the abbot. They were all sitting in a building back there, behind the screen doors. They were all sitting in a circle and asked the abbot to come, who they recognized as their guru, as their enlightened master. And they would sit down the abbot and, and, and share some of their frustration. Well, I'm praying every day, I'm meditating every day, I'm reading scriptures and doing everything you're doing, and yet, I am yet not enlightened. I think you're doing something wrong. <laughs> Pointing the finger at the abbot. I think there's something missing. Maybe we need to tweak our diet a little bit, or maybe we need to meditate a little bit more, or maybe we need to pray a little bit more. There's something that's missing. That's why we're yet not enlightened. And the abbot smiled very gently and said, you're missing the point. And he walked, he got up, walked to the screen door, he opened the screen door, and he pointed to Trotakam. And he said, look at Trotakam. Except what? The janitor? Yes. Look at Trotakam and feel 
her presence. And in that moment, after months and some of them years, the monks finally realized that Trotakam, their janitor, who would clean up after them, who would rake the gardens, who would attend to the flowers, and who would be in the background and have this unassuming role on, in the monastery, has already has been enlightened all along. And they were flabbergasted. Because they knew Trotakam, while they were praying and meditating and doing all the spiritual stuff that they were told to do and chanting and all the right stuff, making, you know, checking all the check boxes that the abbot gave him, Trotakam wasn't doing any of that. But instead, Trotakam lived a life in pure service. And not only in service, but in joy of that service joyfully raking the peace garden, joyfully snipping the flowers and attending to them, joyfully cleaning after the monks who were desperately trying to be enlightened. I love this story because it really fits me, my personality, because guess what? Which one of those two, the monk that's trying desperately to get enlightened or throat to come, guess which one of those am I? The monk, right? Because I was trained and trained myself in my upbringing that I have to do everything right. I have to do everything right for people to like me. I have to do everything perfect for me to reach enlightenment. If I miss a prayer one day, that's a huge, big deal. If I don't meditate for four or eight hours a day, then, oh my God, I can never get there. If I don't do what my guru tells me to do, then I am lost. Anyone felt that way before? Right? And yet, trot to come, and the funny thing is, in that ashram, we had a person who was given the Sanskrit name Trotakam. He was a male, and he was the devotest, most devotest, devoted person I've ever met. The kindest, most loving person I met. And I, whenever I heard that story, I looked at him and said, yeah, he's got it. He's awakened. And I'm stressing out every day about everything, you know, trying to check my boxes every single day. So I get there where he already is by just being himself, by just finding joy in what he is doing, as unimportant it may seem. And that is devotion. Devotion is not so much about checking your boxes, but it's about finding what is truly resonating with you in your heart and coming alive in that. When I was in the hospital for five days and I tried to bargain with God, I remembered that story and I remembered that in the end, I can be, continue to be the hamster that runs in the hamster wheel, or I can just finally give up and surrender to who and what I truly am. 
to do what I really want to do and to find the joy in that. Not everyone is supposed to be a monk. You know, what would the world look like if we all retreated in caves and started meditating all day? The world will crumble, right? We still need janitors. We still need electricians. We still need carpenters. We still need gas station clerks. That's all important, but what if Regardless of what everyone, what we are all doing, what if we are retired and we may not have something very specific to do, but what if we all, regardless of what we're doing right now, could find the joy of being just alive and being who and what we are and follow those desires that are already within us? Wouldn't that be a different world, don't you think? There's a lot more to it, and I know I'm running out of time, so I'm just kind of briefly touch on this. Um, a lot of the Buddhist and Hindu ashrams and communes and teachings, they're based on the eight limbs of yoga, which is what Patanjali wrote about in the Yoga Sutras. The first two limbs are about the yamas and the niyamas. They're kind of like ethical practices internalized and externalized. And here's a nice representation how it would look like this is supposed to be a lotus flower um, that has ultimately a thousand petals. But there's ten ethical guides, very similar to the Ten Commandments, and I talked about those before. The very last one, the last niyama, is called Ishvara Pranidhana. You see it just I don't know, do I have a pointer here or something? Maybe not, but you see it like when you go up on the very top it says surrender and then you go down to the right it says Ishvara Pranidhana. Ishvara Pranidhana means surrender. Pranidhana means surrender. Ishvara means God, but it also means love. It's a very final practice and it's a very, very one of the most important practices in those Buddhist and Hindu traditions. It's about surrendering to what is, and to surrender to life with love, to surrender to even the adversities in our lives with kindness and with love and with understanding and openness, to surrender. And that's a big part of what it means to be in service. And again, those of you who have had the privilege of raising children, you probably can resonate this just without even knowing these traditions, but just knowing sometimes I had to surrender to my child past my own desires, past my own convictions. We don't have to give up our desires and our convictions, but surrender is a big part of truly being in service. And a church, in my opinion, I've been kind of raised at Unity of Houston, had 600 volunteers, and massive operations, if you think about this. I, did, I, I learned every single volunteer position there is to do, and I did them all through the year, throughout the years. But the most important practice I learned besides service and devotion is to surrender. 
to surrender in every moment. And when am I being asked to do something, to help with something, to help someone to the bathroom, open the door, something outside of my comfort zone, then I learned to surrender. And I, I realized from my ashram days, but also from my church days in Houston, and I see it happening here as well, is that surrender to the love outside of ourselves, the love within ourselves to others is an important part. And that's how I see we can learn to be even more in service. And which brings me to the last part, and I promise to be quick. The question is, what is the divine feminine? The divine feminine is connected to service, devotion, and surrender. It's that part within ourselves, whether we are man or woman, or have another gender identity, it doesn't matter. In all of us, we have that divine feminine. And Charles Fillmore, co-founder of Unity, defines this as love in the soul not yet developed and established in substance. It's the love potential that we all have. And it's through service and through devotion and through surrender that that love comes alive. And what that love shows us is who we actually are, what we are. It shows us what really drives us. It gives us not another checkbox to tick in order to get to the awakening peace or the enlightenment peace or feeling in love peace. But it's an other way of being, just like Trotacom, just finding the joy in doing what we are already doing. Interestingly, when you go back into Greek and look at the word woman, then the Greek, one of the Greek translation actually resonates with what Charles Fillmore is saying. In Greek, it, woman can mean unspiritualized love that is natural to the body. So our divine feminine is about potential. It's about having the potential to spiritualize love and manifest love in the world regardless of what situation we are in. It doesn't matter how old we are. It doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter what our occupation is. It doesn't matter whether we are poor or rich. That all has no, no influence. But this is what's within all of us. So how do we bring it out? And with that, I close before the meditation. It's, that's from a book called Keeping Our Promises, How to Be a Guilt-Free Mother. It's actually from a unity minister, Stephanie Moyersai. And I'm going to go through this rather quickly before we move into meditation. I promise to be present. I promise to lighten up. I promise to be kind. I promise to tell the truth. I promise to be grateful. I promise to be loving. I promise to be forgiving. Seven promises that we can make to ourselves in order to find that part within ourselves, that unspiritualized divine motherhood, and bring it alive. So as we move into meditation, 
Will you just join me just reciting this together? I promise to be present. I promise to lighten up. I promise to be kind. I promise to tell the truth. I promise to be grateful. I promise to be loving. I promise to be forgiving. And so it is. So I invite you to take those promises into your heart. Promises that remind you of the truth of who you are. And remember the little heart that you got as you came in today reminder of your divine motherhood. Remember that feminine is as much alive in men and women and any form of gender that we identify with. It's not more or less. It's potential. Spiritually speaking, we're all mothers. We're all capable of taking that potential and spiritualizing, manifested into this world. In fact, we are giving birth to our creation all the time. We never stop. It's part of us. It's our nature of being. It's where the spirit and humanity meet. So for a moment, allow yourself to sink into your motherhood, your spirituality, your feminine side, the potential of love and kindness and compassion, the potential to create something out of nothing. potential to spiritualize and manifest your innermost desire. And then remember that regardless of who and what you are, regardless of your job, your relationship status, your socioeconomic status, whether you're retired or still in the workforce, or if you're yet to explore college and get into the work, we're all this potential together and individually. 
And we're all asked to serve. Serve in a way that allows us to become whole, but also the world to come together. As we learn to serve and to devote ourselves to that service, as we learn to find joy in everything we do, as we learn to surrender to our life's experiences, we change the world. One breath at a time, one action at a time. So remember that life is not just about checking off the many boxes we have, but also to remember that we deserve to be here. We deserve to bring out what we truly are. Not only do we deserve to allow our potential to come to full fruition, but we are demanded to do so. We are asked to do so by all of us. We're asked to come out of our shell and be the bright spirits we already are. We're asked to share without holding back the beauty and the kindness that's within us. With that, with service, devotion, and surrender, we serve this world, this universe, in meaningful ways. So in this perfect gratitude, in this perfect peace that we experience right now, we say yes to us, yes to the potential, and yes to the fact that we deserve to be us fully and without holding back. And so it is. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Unity Fort Worth podcast. You just heard this week's message and meditation. For the live streams and more information, go to unityfortworth.org.